Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Peter McCormick, prolific podcaster, Bitcoiner, and new owner of Bedford FC. We talk about why he bought the club, his plans for putting the club on a Bitcoin standard, and what it's going to mean for the town of Bedford. We also talk about English football, the promotion relegation process, and all the different Bitcoin promotions he plans to put into the club. Peter McCormick, how's everything going, man? Yeah, really good, Jimmy. Really good, man. I'm just recovering from COVID, but apart from that, I'm really good. Life is good. Everything's good, man. I'm really good. How are you? I'm good, but you had COVID? What happened, man? Yeah, you know, I went over to Ireland to see my dad. Got there uh, a couple of days before New Year, and I was a bit sick. Not too bad, but like I had a cough and a sore throat, and I did the test, and I was fine, and and then when I got back to UK, tested myself again, and I had COVID myself. I had it. My daughter had it. So I've been locked up uh, ever since. Okay. So how long has the quarantine been going on since you got COVID? I'm about a week in now, but okay. I tested negative the last two days. So I'm officially meant to be free, but I'm just going to give it another like 24, 48 hours just because <laughs> just I don't want, don't want to give it to anyone else. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Well, so I brought you on the podcast. Obviously, you're known in the Bitcoin space as like sort of the podcaster. So it's a little bit, you know, intimidating to be interviewing you of all people. But you bought a football club. Like what? What's going on? <laughs> like, how do you buy a football club? By the way, this is English football, not like American football. But you know, what the heck happened? Well, let's get some perspective. I mean, this is a small club. It's in what's considered the 10th tier. So where US sports is that that flat structure, we have this kind of hierarchical structure where teams get promoted and relegated from divisions. You go up or down. And so the first tier is the Premier League. The second tier is the Championship. The third tier is League One. Then you've got League Two, Conference. You go all the way down to the 10th tier. And that's where the club is I bought. So yes, Jimmy, listen, this is something I've wanted to do for, for a long time. And people who listen to my podcast have heard me saying about it for years, I'd want to buy the local football club and get them in the football league. The team I wanted to buy was actually Bedford Town. There's a, there's a couple of clubs in Bedford. And I did approach them and I made them what I think was a really good offer. Unfortunately, they declined it. So I had to go to plan B. They're in the eighth tier. So I went to plan B, which is to get a team in the 10th tier, which is Bedford FC. And yeah, I mean, it's been a real baptism of fire, Jimmy. I've learned a lot about football. We'll get into that. But yeah, no, basically you just, you approach the teams and you make an offer and they either accept or decline it. One declined it, one accepted it. And so, yeah, that's now, uh, that's, I'm now a football club owner. <laughs> that's just so crazy to me because at least in the U.S., if you own like a professional sports club, that's like, you know, many, you know, hundreds of millions, usually in the billions territory. So it's crazy to me that someone like yourself, I mean, you're well off, but you're not a billionaire. So like, it's crazy uh, to me that you can just like sort of go out and buy a club. But I mean, I guess there's 10 levels. How many football clubs are there in England, for example? Oh, you know what? I wouldn't even know the number, but there, you've got about 80 or so in the professional league, which is the first four divisions. And then uh -huh. the conference, I think, might be 24. I'd have to check. And then what happens? It splits. So then it splits mm -hmm. into conference north and south. And when they split, they split into more. So 
at my level, there's a number of divisions and you're always trying to get promoted to the one up where it filters down. And, and my, you know, my original goal was just to try and get us in the football league. The football league is what's considered the professional leagues, which is mm-hmm. you know, where p- teams are considered professional players are considered full time. And that's the first four divisions where well, Bedford, where I'm from, we've never had a, a team in the professional league. So that's my goal now is to get a club there. And that's, yeah, we're talking six promotions. So yeah, best case scenario, we have a successful season six years in a row. We will be in the Football League in six years' time. But but the thing about US sports is you only have big teams, right? Every uh-huh. every team is a big team. We have small little teams, like like almost like you know, think of Manchester United as like Starbucks and what I've bought is uh-huh. the local coffee shop. <laughs> so you bought a local coffee shop and at least you had that ability like at least in the u.s you don't really have uh smaller divisions you either just sort of go big or go home yeah at least that's my impression yeah yeah no it's uh that is one of the cool things is that you can go and do this but also at the same time whilst you can do it you know if you've got ambition then you need to have a like a solid plan behind it which i think i've got jimmy i think i've got a solid mm. plan and uh, yeah, man, look, we're going for it. I'm running the club now, effectively. I, the current chairman, Louis, is kind of helping me out for the rest of the season, but I'm mm-hmm. effectively running it. And half of my day is doing a podcast and half of my day is running a football club now. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about this whole like running a football club thing, because I don't think we really know what like the financials are like or like how as a tiny club, like you're basically saying it's like a coffee shop on the corner, like how you make money, right? Like, because who comes to see the games? Like at least here in the US, it's like if you're not like Major League Baseball, like I think baseball is the closest you get to this tiered system, except it's not there's no promotion. It's just like the bigger clubs sort of like own all of the minor league clubs underneath or something like that. And like very few people go to like some of these minor league games, especially like single A ball or something like that. So can you explain a little bit like how the finances work in a club as small as yours? Yeah. So there's scale to all of this. So Mm. in my division, the 10th tier, the club I've bought right now, none of the players are paid. None Mm. of them are paid. They all have jobs. And they train once or twice a week and they play on the weekend. But they all obviously have an objective to maybe go up one, two divisions and, you know, where they might get paid. But the budget, the team I bought, their budget for the season was £15,000, so around Uh $20,000. And that is the cost to run the club, you know, the things they need Mm. to buy, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think I can do revenue in that this first year. And when I say the first year, I'm basically saying – the rest of this season, which is until May, and then mm-hmm. the following season. So the next year and a half, I think my revenue could be around £1.5 million, which is unheard of for a team of this size. That puts mm-hmm. us in the bracket of a League 2 team, which is, if you think we are nine promotions from the Premier League, a League uh-huh. 2 team is three promotions from the Premier League. We've got a mm-hmm. similar revenue model to those guys. What that means, Jimmy, is like I can... Yeah, if it we're at the start of the season, I would go out to the managers and I would say, look, your remit is promotion, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And that's your goal. Mm-hmm. And if you fail that, you know, you won't keep your job. But mm-hmm. you have a budget, whereas most teams don't really have a budget for players. I can say your budget for the seasons, let's say fifty thousand pounds. So that gives uh-huh. them a two thousand pound a week budget. They can go out to the market and they can probably sign, you know, 
20 players on £100 a week or maybe 10 on £100 a week and 5 on uh, £200 a week and build a squad which is mm-hmm. really competitive for our division because they're paid. Mm. These will be players who will come down a division or two to play for us who will be much better than the standard mm. our division, which should mean we could get promoted. And what mm. happens is you know, we get maybe 20 to 40 people come to a game. If we get promoted, while my budget was 50000 this year, the next year it might have to be 75000 but we might have 80 people come to a game. And then if mm. we get promoted again, you know, our budget might have to be 125000 and we might have 300 people come to a game. And you work mm. your way up, and as you go up, you earn more money, more people will come and watch you, but your wages and your wage bill is higher. A lot mm. of the teams struggle because the majority of the money goes on wages. And mm. most divisions have always somebody who's really ambitious, a chairman who's got some money, who wants to put some money behind the club. And so the player wages drive football, and most clubs are on a very, very tight budget a lot of them are breaking even losing a bit of money with the chairman breaking in we're in this unique position because i've kind of made us the bitcoin club that we have a massive revenue opportunity and therefore we Mm. can be highly highly competitive and the Mm. reason we can do this jimmy is that now really what i'm creating here is the micro strategy el salvador of uh, (laughs) football what i mean by that jimmy is that you know Bitcoin, you know what we're like as Bitcoiners. We want yeah. to get behind Bitcoin projects. We want to support Bitcoin projects because we want to support the underdog, but we also want to spread the knowledge of why Bitcoin is important and a Bitcoin standard. And football clubs mm. historically really struggle financially because of the, the expense of running the game and how expensive the players are. My goal is to put us on a Bitcoin standard. So our, rather than thinking season to season, like, crap, what's our budget? Who can we get? And struggling mm. by, I can take this long term time horizon so if we make 1.5 million this year and we spend a hundred thousand we've got 1.4 million profit i can put into the bitcoin treasury if i do that mm. over the next say four seasons i could end up with four to five million in my treasury going in who knows what the value of that treasury will be in four or five years that treasury might be, you have four or five million might become 20 30 40 million if bitcoin does mm. its thing so a bitcoin standard for a football club you know the thing about a bitcoin standard jimmy if you go on one yourself you know, you, you don't unless you've timed it perfectly. Unless you've gone on a Bitcoin standard at the bottom of the market, you know really you've got to give yourself a four-year outlook to go right. I've leveled up over that uh-huh. four years. Whatever Bitcoin should ten x me, and I should level up. It's going to be very difficult to do that with a big club because they're already struggling. We're such a small club with such a good revenue model that we can do that. And then in four seasons' time, when our treasury maybe has had like like I say four to five million pound going in, but is worth 20, 30 million, we could suddenly go, huh. Okay, this is our investment budget over the next four seasons. We will continue to try and drive a commercial profit. We will continue to top up our treasury, but we're now in that position because we've had a Bitcoin standard and we've got a low time preference that we can invest in our club the way other teams can't. So Hmm. my goal really is to try to kind of like shake up sports with this. And I don't think anyone's, well, I know a lot of people don't understand it already, Jimmy, because people Hmm. think we're a crypto club that we're doing fan (laughs) tokens. It's none of that. So I think a bit like if you look at El Salvador, you know, everyone wants to dump on Bukele. Everyone wants to attack him. And that with the Bitcoin price, what it is, I know Steve Hankey is going to be out there and we know that Peter Schiff's going to be out there criticizing him. We also know in four or five years, everyone's going to be like, huh, he was right. He nailed this. And we'll be the same. People are going to criticize us. They're not going to understand it, Jimmy. In a four to five years time, we go, yeah, you know, you're, all your clubs are in debt. 
well, that five million we put into our treasury is now 30 million, 20 million. We're now in this mm-hmm. position. We're now, we've now 10x you over a four year period just because we've gone on a Bitcoin standard. Mm. Well, so let's back up a little bit because okay. you told me that the budget for your club right now is like 15,000 pounds a year and yep. you don't pay any of the players. So where's that money going? Do you have to like rent out the field or what's the actual cost there? Yeah. So you've got the lease of the ground, which is you've got to pay, mm-hmm. which is you know, X. You've, you've got to get kits. You've got to you know mm-hmm. have a physio. You've got to. It's just all these various costs that go into running the club. You know, day to day running. You know, I guess washing, soccer balls cleaning. and uh, yeah. and goals and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and floodlights. You know, you have to change the bulbs on your floodlights. There's lots of things like that. And so a lot mm-hmm. of these clubs they really struggle. Whereas I've come in now. I sold half a million pound of sponsorship in the first week. Now they're coming to me, and I've ordered new training kits for them. We've got a physio mm. coming in who's going to be paid because the previous physio wasn't. Our manager, we've got a new manager and assistant manager. They're being paid. The guy, Big John, who works behind the bar, who does it mm. for free and is also a kit man, he's now getting mm. paid. You know, mm. They've asked for some new equipment, and I can buy it. So I can mm. now provide what the team needs, the things they haven't had before, to now just allow them to just – just to have, like have a nicer environment to play in and training. And there's a lot more. Like I've got a big list. I want a full-time groundsman. You know, mm-hmm. I want to have an away coach. So when we go to away games, rather than the players drive, they come to the ground, they're going to coach together and they travel together. So having this budget allows <laughs> they, they me. They have to drive to the other the yeah. opponent's field and stuff like that? Wow. Yeah. And yeah, they're I mean, doing it for free. <laughs> yeah. But we were at the 10th tier. But like when mm-hmm. we go next, you know, once we get up to the ninth tier, we will uh-huh. be competing with clubs where some still drive, but maybe some mm-hmm. have a coach. And, you know, by mm-hmm. the time we've gone three or four promotions, it's like, no, every game we'll, we'll have a coach and we'll have every player paid. So I'm buying at the bottom because, mm-hmm. Jimmy, look, it didn't matter which team I buy. I could have bought mm-hmm. a big team or a small team. I could have got the Bitcoiners behind it. But buying a small team gives me two things. It gives me a fresh canvas to play with so I can put us in an orange shirt. And mm. I can change the logo. I can do those kind of cool Bitcoin things. But I can take that low time preference trajectory because mm. it doesn't matter what size club I bought, my revenue would have been about the same because the majority mm. of my revenue is going to come from Bitcoiners and Bitcoin companies. So I might as well have a small club where I'm running at like a very good margin and put that money away and keep that in a Bitcoin treasury to give ourselves that position when in four or five years time when we're in the bigger leagues, we've got this real kind of nice financial cushion behind us. Mm-hmm. Well, so your plan then is to really like plan for the next five to 10 years instead of, okay, what are we going to do this season and so on? It's a bit of both, Jimmy. What mm. it is, is that I have to consider every season and every season, the remit for the management is promotion. You know, we will mm. start next season promotion and we hopefully we'll get it and the start of the next season will be promotion and they will have a good budget for players. I, mm. I want my budget to be the best in the division we're in. And every mm. division we're going through, that's what I want to happen. I can do that because I'm raising good funds on the commercial side. But at the same time, we can also take that long-term trajectory and say, okay, where do we want to be in four years? You know, we, mm. we might need a new ground in four years. Well, if our treasury works out for us and Bitcoin does its thing, we will have that money to invest in the ground. So we can mm. take a long-term view on like the big capital projects, but also mm. take that short-term view on investing in the team for success. Mm. Well, it sounds like what your strategy so far is to get a lot of sponsorships, but don't clubs make money other ways, like getting people to actually watch the games and stuff like that? 
Yeah, so the revenue tends to fall into kind of three buckets. There's broadcasting, mm. commercial, mm. and match day. And mm. it changes depending on what division you're in. If you're in the Premier League, most teams, about 90% of their revenue is going to come from broadcasting rights because the Premier League is sold around the world and for billions, mm-hmm. of, billions of pounds. But up to that, the broadcasting rights are, uh, you know, there's none, there's no broadcasting rights in the divisions we're in. And there's a minimal amount in League Two, League One, and the Championship, and it, it gets better. Mm. So the strategy will change. My revenue is going to come from the following buckets. Firstly, sponsorship, which is Bitcoin companies mm. sponsoring the mm. club. You know, I've announced Compass Mining are the they're the secondary sponsor on the shirt. I've mm-hmm. closed the front of shirt, which I haven't announced, and I've also closed some just premium partners who are they're not on the shirt, but they're on the website and they'd be at the ground and yada yada. Mm. So that's one bucket. I've sold half a million pounds worth already. I would hope I can do seven hundred fifty thousand for the season, yeah, mm. maybe more. My next bucket is merchandise. It's a shirt sales. So mm. you know, our shirt is our home shirts orange, our away shirts white, and our training kit's black. Got a big Bitcoin mm. logo on it. And I buy a shirt for, say, £25, and I sell it for 50 So for every mm. 10,000 shirts I sell, I will make £250,000 for the club. And, you know, I, I would it's ambitious, but I think I can sell 10,000 shirts to the Bitcoiners. I, I think I can. And then we've mm. got the merchandise on top of that, T-shirts, hoodies, scarves, etc. So my goal really is... I've set myself targets. I've set a, a £750,000 target for sponsorships, which I might beat. Mm. £500,000 mm. target for merchandise, which I'm not sure, and that's going to be tough. We'll have to wait and see on that. And mm-hmm. then there's a couple of other pots. There is streaming. So we're going to stream the games online and charge mm. people a fiver game for that. Mm. We're going to offer membership. You can become a member of the club. And then mm. we will have some small amounts of match day revenue from people coming in. But my big buckets are merchandise, uh, kit sales, memberships, and sponsorships. Mm. But that model will change every division you're in. So our match day revenue mm. is going to be tiny now. That will grow and that will scale with every division we go into. Because like I say, at the moment, say we've got 20 people coming in. By the time we get to the conference, which is, say, five promotions, I would hope we've got a couple of thousand people coming to a game and 2,000 people mm. to come into a game at you know, £20 a ticket. That's £40,000. If they buy some burgers and other things, you might be able to make £50,000 a game. So that those change. Hmm. Well, so this is something that's a little bit different, you know, with English football versus like American sport is you do have this whole idea of being a supporter of a club, like you literally financially support a club through buying merchandise and stuff like that, which you do to some degree in the US. But like if I buy like uh, the jersey for like a local team or something like that, they don't necessarily directly get that money it's usually the league that gets it and then they distribute it based on some pre-done formula it's very different in english football isn't it well yeah yes and no i think the big difference i've noticed between u.s and british sports is that uh, english soccer especially i'm saying soccer for you guys any any english people (laughs) crucify me for saying that but like our football the biggest Uh difference is there's there's a lot I think there is a there's more of a desire to try and support a local team. And there's a lot more mm. pressure from it. Like if I support Liverpool, which I live nowhere near, and I used to get a lot of stick as a kid for that. It's like, oh, you're just mm. a glory hunter. Whereas in the US, mm. people do like their home teams, but they, you know, you will meet somebody who's from LA and who, who will support the Yankees, right? You do meet uh-huh. people like that. But there is that also thing where people really want to go to the games as well. They want to be at the game. Mm. They want to see the game live. But the the biggest difference really isn't 
with how people support it. It's, I think the biggest difference is that we have this kind of, like you have the minor leagues, we have the minor leagues, mm. but that is that ability that you can take a small team up through the divisions. It is possible. I mean, Brentford, who are this season in the Premier League, you know, they've come up from League Two. They've worked their way up and they've done it. And that that's the biggest mm. difference. But there is a growing interest in football in the US. I mean, Ted Lasso's helped with that and you know, David Beckham going to going to LA Galaxy when he did. There is this like growing interest in our football and mm. a lot of support I'm getting in. I'm getting a lot of followers and inbound from people who do want to support this team I'm building. Mm. Well, so tell me a little bit about the history of the club, because obviously you just sort of bought it. Like, how, when did they form and like what led to them kind of being stuck in that division? Like, why haven't they been promoted? Well, I mean, it's a good question. I was asked that by a journalist today. This club never would have, should have been the club that gets in the Football League. It should be Bedford Town. That's the bigger local club. They've got the history. You know, back in the 50s, they played Arsenal in the FA Cup. They famously drew with Arsenal mm. and they nearly knocked them out. And that's like, a, and they've had some other famous FA Cup runs. So we have this competition, Jimmy, called the FA Cup, which mm-hmm. is you have the league and then the cup. And the thing about the cup is that every team in the professional leagues can play in the FA Cup. Mm. And you have all these preliminary rounds that start very early on. And what happens is you, you have the preliminary rounds, then you have the first round, second round, the third round. The teams in the Premier League don't start until the third round. But occasionally you will get, you know, when you get to the third round draw, so basically for every round, people go on TV, all the names are in a hat, and you draw out who's going to play each other. And you'll see like a non-league team, like a Yeovil or whoever has got (laughs) into this third round, and they are hoping that they draw a big club. And every now and again, you'll see it. This team will come out and they will draw Man U or they will draw, you know, uh, Liverpool or Tottenham. And you've got these things, you have these famous games called, they're called giant killing games. It was like when Wrexham beat Arsenal, famous game years ago, where Wrexham in the non-league, they drew Arsenal and uh, they beat them 2-1. So that that happens. And Bedford Town have had various cup runs and, you know, and they've, but they they should be the team going into the league. They weren't available to me. So I've gone with Bedford FC. They've got a lesser history. They were established back in the 50s, whereas Bed- oh. I think Bedford Town's back like about 120-year history. But they've changed their names a few times. They've, you know, they were uh, originally Bedford United, then they became Valerio, and then Valerio merged with Bedford uh, United and yada, yada. I mean, I, I don't know the full history and some people are hamming me saying, how do you not know? I just, I just don't know. There is one long-time fan. We're going out for a coffee soon. He's going to teach me the whole history of the club. But yeah, no, it doesn't have a huge history. It hasn't achieved a lot. It's constantly been the smaller club in Bedford. And and yeah, but I think it's going to cause a bit of a stir because obviously our next-door neighbors now are going to be thinking, well, who are these guys? What are they up to? And, and I expect they think we're a bit of a threat to them because if we are successful doing this, some people who support them may come and support us. Mm. Well, so you had this competing thing and this club's been around since the 50s. And, you know, like, uh, obviously, like, finances are probably a big part of it. But like, are many of the clubs in the 10th division like this? Or like, can anyone just sort of start a club? What's the idea? Anyone can start a club. If you want to start a club, Mm. you actually have to go one tier below. You got to go to the bottom, which is the 11th tier. But anybody (laughs) can go and start a club. And anyone can grow a club. But the problem is, Jimmy, most can't. There's like a limit to how big you can grow these clubs because really Mm. your revenue model is based on your catchment area. So a town like Bedford, 174,000 people, you're only going to get people in Bedford support them. 
And that means, mm. you know, on a Bedford Town on a Saturday when they get five, six, seven hundred people come, that's five, six, seven hundred tickets sold and a bunch of burgers and maybe some shirts. It's not a lot of money, and that's the money they have to spend on players. And that's the struggle they have. And, you know, some of the smaller clubs in other towns, they're competing with the bigger clubs. Like if you're a small long league team, say in Manchester, there's a famous team called Salford United. Is it Salford uh-huh. United or Salford SC? I'll have to I'll have to check that. But they were bought by four or five players who used to play for Manchester United, famous players. Gary Neville, Ryan Giggs, Nicky Butt, Paul Skulls. They, they're Salford City FC. They're all ex-Manchester United players. They bought Salford City FC, a non-league club, and they took them up through the divisions into the Football League. But their difficulty is like local fans will come and watch them, but they're also competing against Manchester United. They're competing in Manchester City, competing against Oldham, all other clubs who are in that catchment area. Now, mm. the thing about Bedford is our nearest other club is Luton Town, and, and people from Bedford don't always have an affiliation with Luton. It's not like it's not a place that we're like, oh, I love Luton, I want to support them. So mm-hmm. we've got this catchment area of 170,000 people who could be potential fans of the club. Now, to give some perspective, Burnley, who are in the Premier League, the population of that mm. town's 90,000 people, and they have a local, mm. pre- uh, well, ex-Premier League championship club who might get back in the Premier League called Blackburn Rovers, my dad's team. So what, and going back to one of your questions, like, why have we never got that? I don't know. I just don't think we've <laughs> ever had the right person uh-huh. behind the club with the right money or with the right plan to make this happen until now. I believe I do have the right plan. And and the reason I believe I've got the right plan is like, we just, I'm just really lucky, Jimmy. I'm very fortunate that a couple of things converge in at the same time. Firstly, I am from Bedford, which is great. So mm. I'm local, which is cool. So I understand the town and I want to deliver something for the town. Bitcoiners, as I said, get behind things. I know you're going to take an interest in this. You're going to, you probably don't care about football at all, English football, Jimmy, but when you see the results, well, I, I actually kind of do, but do we'll, we'll talk about that later. Okay. But yeah, we'll come yeah. back to that. Well, you go on. I actually know about the FA Cup, the Carling Cup, the English right. Premier League, Champions League, and all that stuff. But we'll, we'll, well, we'll you, talk about that in a little bit. But continue your rant about like local support and all that. Well, I don't believe, say, I don't know if you support a team. If you do, I mm-hmm. know my team's going to become your second team. And if you don't have a team, I've got a feeling they might end up becoming your first team. So mm-hmm. but they, they have this catchment area they can draw upon, whereas teams like Liverpool, Tottenham, Manchester United, they have that local catchment area, but they have this global catchment area. You know, They're big mm-hmm. markets in Asia, in the States, of people, of fan supporters group who support them, who, who go crazy for them, and they can sell shirts and merchandise to them. They can sell sponsorships internationally. I'm in this fortunate position because I can galvanize the Bitcoiners to get behind this, you know, because they will get behind things. They will get behind the Bitcoin team. And also because I've got the platform, which is, you know, I'm very fortunate that it's done so well over the last few years that I can also promote this and promote it to people on Twitter, that I can create this international support. I, I've got access to an international audience that most local clubs don't because when somebody takes over a club, it's like... Ha- how does a small local club, without Bitcoin, how do I get international people interested in this? I can't. I've got, there's mm. no chance. But because I can put a Bitcoin logo on the shirt, because I can tweet about it, because I can talk about it on the show, because people like you are kind enough to invite me on your show, I can galvanize this support and get them behind it. So now my catchment area is global. I can sell sponsorships to global Bitcoin companies. I can sell shirts to Bitcoiners around the world. I can start international supporters clubs. I can sell merchandise. So where these clubs would hope, you know, you know, a similar, you know, Bedford Town would hope to do maybe 150, 200,000 pound a year revenue. I'm pretty confident I'm going to do, you know, over a million, hopefully around 1.5 million because I have that international market. 
So that's why I think I've got a plan that can do this and why I think others struggle because where does your revenue come from? It's a really hard slog for these clubs. Hmm. Well, I know you used to play. Did you ever play in any of these leagues or or (laughs) was it just sort of like a casual sort of like Saturday thing or something like that? Well, Jimmy, you know, I'm a little bit overweight and I've always been a bit overweight. So I've never been much of a uh, athlete, but I used to play in a Sunday league team. And I, my claim to fame is I scored a goal at St. James's Park, which is Newcastle's ground. We, uh, we In an off season, we paid to play a game at their ground and I scored a 25 yard lob, which is like my claim to fame. But no, I was never a great footballer. I was a Div 4, Div 5 Sunday league, which is about as crap as you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not much of a player, but definitely a fan. Mm. Well, so like the big thing in these leagues, as far as I can tell, is the money. But there's also this thing with players and how you sort of like source the players and so on. Like, what's that like? How do you get somebody to sign for you? I guess you can lure them in with like money, but how do you make sure that they play well together and stuff? I mean, there are lots of cases in sports where you get lots and lots of really big superstars and the team just doesn't work because you know, they're all selfish or something, you know, what do you do? How do you construct a club? So it depends on the level you're in. Okay. So Mm. let's talk, let's go to the very top, the premier league. You Mm. can go and sign all the best players and still not win the league because Mm. they might not gel. The manager might not gel, or you might be, I don't know, you might be Chelsea signing the best players, but Man City are also signing the best players. It's really difficult. Mm. Now let's go all Mm. the way down to my division I can go and sign all the best players who are good enough to play two, maybe three divisions above to come and play for mine. And they're going to be significantly better than the other players are divisions. So promotion should be fairly trivial for the first year. And actually it Mm. should be fairly trivial for the first four or five years. As long as my budget is in excess of the other, other teams, it should be fairly trivial, but it is no guarantee of success. You know, what we have to do is we have to build a culture of excellence and winning. And that's, yeah, in two areas. My job as a chairman is really two things, Jimmy. My job is to make sure we're in the green and making good money so we mm. can invest in the players and put the right management team in place. And that's management back of our house and also management of the team. And so I have to get, get a, put a manager in place and I don't sign the players, essentially. I turn around to them and say, this is your budget. You go and sign the players. Now, the managers will know the players. They will have played them or managed them. They'll know who the best ones are and they will approach them you know, through the official channels and say, do you want to come and sign for our club? This is the package we're willing to offer you and hopefully we will get those people in and get them playing for our club. But mm. like I say, as, it, as you got the divisions, it gets a bit more tricky because even if you have the best players, they don't always gel. So that's about the excellence. You know, mm. Not only do we have to get the best players in but we've got to build the cultural winning in the club and that might be coming down to providing the best facilities for the players to training providing the best nutritional support providing the best physio as as available we have to put everything in around the team to give them everything they can succeed and even with that you could have the best manager the best players the best facilities it might not just work on the pitch it just Mm. might not gel you know you could get 10 of the best bitcoiners in the world in a room together and they might not gel and it's exactly the mm. same with footballer. You know, you put the best players on the pitch and they might not gel. That's what's the, the manager's job. But it's really important that I don't interfere with the managers. I don't pick the players. I don't tell them what to do. I just say to them, what is it you need to win? And I will put that in place for you. 
Hmm. Well, so you have a manager, but like, how do you like? Is the manager getting paid? How do you, how do you make sure that you get the right manager? And like, can you just buy somebody at any time? I know, like,、uh, in the higher divisions, there's like transfer windows and things like that, where you can actually sign players from other teams.、Uh, I guess you can always sign players on a free transfer whenever you want, but you know they have to not have a current club or whatever. So, like, how do you? How does that work at the Tier that you're at, yeah. Another great question, Jimmy. It all depends, like you said, on the tier. But in our tier, if we want a player and he's currently signed to a club, we have to approach that club and say, "Can we talk to your player?" And they can decline it. And then after、mm. seven days, we can approach the player, or they can allow us to talk to them. And then we、mm. have to make them an offer. And it's just about you know, it's setting a budget with the managers and saying to the manager, "This is your budget at the end of the season, and your goal is、uh, promotion." And the manager themselves will know if they don't achieve their remit. There's no excuse; they will be replaced. But usually, they're not going to be replaced at the end of the season. You, you know, you don't.、Mm. Either they're going to be up there and succeeding from very、mm-hmm. early on, or they're not. And if they're not, they're going to be under a risk of losing their job. And if it looks like they're really struggling, they'll be replaced. But at the level I'm at, the managers that I've got, I'm paying them. They're experienced.、Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing, and they've been given a good budget. They should be able to get promotion. If not,、mm. then their their job will be at risk. Hmm. And what are the promotion rules down at the tenth division? Is it just the top three clubs in your league, or is it like something different?、Yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> That's a funny question because sometimes trying to get clear information about this is is quite difficult. But the division I'm in, because what it is is essentially the division above, it's teams from two divisions filter up into it. Mm. So when I said before, say for example, conference. After the conference,、mm. it splits into conference north and conference south, and teams、mm. go up from conference north and south into the conference. It's similar down to where we are. So, as I understand it, for the division I'm in, the top team goes up,、mm. and the next four go into what is known as playoffs, where you play. You have like a semi-final and a final, and whoever wins the playoffs goes up. So it should be two teams going up.、Mm. I don't want to risk playoffs next season. The remit for the The manager isn't just promotion; it is to be top of the league, absolutely、mm. top of the league, and go straight up. But it's like I say, it's all achievable.、Mm. Okay, so you have to finish first to be guaranteed. Otherwise,、mm-hmm. you go into a four-team playoff. And how many teams are in your league at the moment? I think there. You know what? Let me just check that. I think it is twenty. I think it's about twenty.、Okay. Here we go.、I've、got it here in front of me. Div one. So we there are twenty yeah twenty teams in our division and we are currently eighth. So Stockfold are top and we're playing them. That's our next game a week tomorrow, and then we are eighth. So we need to go one two three. We need essentially go up to top four. Sorry, top five. So we need essentially to go up like three places. Wait, wait. And- you need to be. I I thought it was just the top. Three and the、uh, second and third go into a playoff with no, the, no, no. the second and third. Top goes up, second, third, fourth,、mm-hmm. and fifth go into a playoff, semi-finals, then final playoff. And so,、oh. currently, the fifth place team is on thirty-eight points, and we're、mm-hmm. on thirty-six points. But we played two more games than them.、Mm-hmm. But we've got sixteen games to go. I think we need to win thirteen. Of our final games to get into those playoff positions, which is doable because, like I say, I've given the managers a budget to go out and get some players now. So I think、mm. we can do it. I think we should make the playoffs.、Mm. But if we don't, you know, yeah, so be it. Okay, so you, in order to promote, you need to at least have a chance by getting into the 
top five. And in order to do that, you, well, so if I understand that you have a home and away with every other team in your league, so that's uh, 19 other teams, so 38 games. And you've already, yeah, you've already gone through 22 games uh, and you have 16 left. That's, uh, and, you know, I guess that's why you have to wait until May because you got like one game a weekend, something like that. And you get, and, you know, basically you have 16 games. You need to, you think, win 13 in order to get into the playoff spot. Yeah, that's essential. I think 13 out of 16 wins will get us into the playoffs for sure. Okay. And what would it take to get to the top? Is that like too not far achievable? Out no, because, I mean, they're not going to lose enough games. They're already in 53 points. So, you know, they've essentially lost three and drawn two and won 17. We're not going to catch them. But like I say, if we don't get up this season, next season, I would expect us to be at the top from very early on and maintain that position for the whole season. Hmm. But, I mean, if you're in the playoffs, you you have to win that four-team tournament in order to promote. Hell yeah. Listen, if we made the playoffs... I think we've got a good chance of going up because we will have the right players in place. Like the team we'll have in place for the rest of the season will be a team that would have got us promoted. Mm. Well, so how many players have you actually signed so far? Like I know you said nobody was getting paid. How many are getting paid at this moment? So we haven't signed anyone yet because there's like a process. It takes a bit of time, but we've got trials. And so we've got, Mm. for example, tomorrow we've got an 11 friendly game of our players with some Mm. trialists coming into play. And we're also trying to sign some players. My hope is by the time 15th of Jan comes around that we've got two or three players in. I mean, I'm not going to say what they're being paid, but they will be paid. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have 11 other players that you're putting on trial already. That, no, that's no, 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 a not, significant not, number. Not 11 on trial. We've got just an 11 v 11 friendly. There'll be a whole squad of players down there. I mean, I don't know how many will be there. There might be 30 people uh-huh. down there. But there are some people we're trying out, and there's some other people we don't need to try out or we just want to sign, and we're just trying to get those over the line. But like the transfer market is a little bit tricky mid-season because if mm. you're the player we want, you might already be a team up at the top and not want to leave them. Mm, I see. And for the player, what's their motivation for joining your club versus like, you know, staying at their current club? Is it just pay or is it something? Is it anything more than that? Yeah, I I mean, I think they'll come for two reasons. One, money, because Mm -hmm. maybe they're on £100 a week and I'm going to offer them £200 a week. And the other Mm -hmm. thing is, like, there's a lot of eyeballs on this project. They might just want to be part of it. They might think, you know what, this is kind of cool. I I really, really Mm want to be part of this. So, there's a number of reasons why they might come but once the season's over signing building the squad for next season to get promoted is going to be fairly trivial Mm. so your plan is to sign during the summer when you have you know a lot more flexibility to go sign whoever because you'll have a bigger pool of players to choose from yeah exactly i mean it's like the season's over who's available who wants to move who wants to become part of this you know people are going to be aware that we've got money as well that's hard to avoid we've got to stop the mercenaries coming in and just coming for the money but at the same time you know people are going to want to play for us jimmy Hmm. well so that brings up a question like you are going to be sort of like the big spenders in your league right yep and like you're probably going to get some players that you know present themselves as better than they are how do you like I don't know, make sure that they've still got it, right? Like, you know, it's like that pitcher who's lost his fastball or something like that. Like, they all want jobs too. So it's like, what do you do? Well, it's a risk you take with anyone you sign. You know, are they still good (laughs) enough? Will they perform that season? But, you know, 
you, you might sign 10 players, Jimmy, and you might have a couple of dun- you know duds in that. But generally speaking, uh, you know, we should be able to sign enough players where that's not – we could carry a couple of duds. I don't expect us to sign 10 duds and really struggle next season. You know, these, <laughs> we're signing players who've got, who've got history and form, you know, that are tried and tested in these divisions who are good enough. You know, and they, all the people I've spoken to have said, if you've got the budget – in these early divisions, you can easily get the team together that you need. But do you know what? Like, mm. we don't just want to be look look like this mercenary team who's just buying its way up. Yeah, there's a lot more to this. Like, this isn't just just about going up. This is also about doing stuff for my hometown. Like, Bedford is a t- deprived area, Jimmy. It, you know, it really mm. hasn't had a lot going for it. There used to be some big companies and industry here. They're not anymore. You know, we don't mm. have the big employers here anymore, and it really hasn't had a lot going for it. And you know, for me, this is a really personal project that I want to do something for the town. I I want to do something that the town is proud of, that they can get behind, and you know, can deliver economic opportunities. So, whilst I'm trying to get these promotions at the same time, it's really important to get across the fact that I also, you know, I want to build a reserve team. I'd like to build a youth academy so we can offer football op- opportunities for kids. I'd like to build a women's team because the women's team's grown. I'd like to support grassroots football in the town. So. Whilst everything is about this promotion, at the same time, you've got to remember this is also a local project to deliver something for Bedford. Hmm. Well, that, let's talk about the town a little bit because, you know, I, obviously the manufacturing has left a lot of these Western countries, certainly in the US and England and uh, many other places. What's the main industry in the town right now? What's it like over there? Yeah, it's the biggest you know, industry in the town right now is a Bitcoin podcast. It's like the center of Bitcoin media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you know what jimmy it's actually it's a big commuter town now it's a 40 minute train ride into london and if you want to get a house in london it's super expensive you know you can mm. easily pay 500 to 700 thousand pound for for a one two bedroom apartment in central london and what's happened is a lot of people uh, uh, you know you can buy a house you can buy a four bedroom house here for the same price so a lot of people they commute into london to get paid the london salary but they end up living here in the town and we've also had a lot of people who've bought flats in london they've made a huge amount of money over the last decade and they've moved back here so the majority of money in the town comes from people commuting into london we don't really have a lot of industry here there's i, I mean there will be people from bedford who'll be listening and go oh pete you idiot you don't know about x y and z and you know they're yeah, we used to have a big Texas Instruments headquarters here that was, mm. you know, that was big in the town, and you know, but we just don't have that. We have a lot of small, smaller businesses. I mean, the high street is dying. A lot of the big high street stores have closed down. It's, you know, it kind of looks a little bit sad now. It's a lot of like charity shops and betting shops and coffee shops. We obviously mm. have a few, a few pubs here, Jimmy, but mm-hmm. we don't have. I can't. It's not like Texas, right? We can turn around and say, yeah, we've got oil, oil and gas here. We don't really have. You know, specific industry. I mean, Amazon have put a big distribution center on the edge of the town. You know, we've, mm. we have, because we've got these big dual carriageways that lead up to the motorway called the M1, which is like, M1 is like the spine motorway of the country that goes north, mm-hmm. south through the country and takes you from London up to the north. And we're close to that. We do have a lot of distribution centers that have been built around the town where, mm. you know, they can very quickly and easily uh, get their goods loaded up on the lorries and, and, and transported around the country. That has been a growing sector, but it's not really something you look at and go, oh, that's exciting. You know, it's mm. quite, I think they're quite <laughs> miserable industries. Well, that's interesting that it's become a commuter town because you would think that, 
if it is a commuter town, you would also get companies moving there because then they can just be closer to the workers that are living there already, especially since, you know, as you said, London is just so incredibly expensive. If it's expensive for houses, it's also going to be expensive for offices. And you would think that they would want to go into the suburbs where their employees actually live, no? Well, we're not really the su- suburbs of London. That's the point. I mean, it's yeah. still, like I say, 40 minutes on the train. It's it's not that mm. close. And, you know, we don't have companies building out here. Most of the interesting companies are here are set up by locals, you know, locals to the mm. town who, who want to build a company here. But, yeah, we just don't – we used to have London Brick where, you know, the Brickworks were. That was quite – yeah, it was a big employer at one point. It's a very diverse town, though, Jimmy. Like, it's one of the mm. most multicultural towns in the UK. We have a massive Italian community I think a lot of those people came here and, and worked at the London Brick at the Brickworks. We have uh, a big Asian community. We have probably, if you ever come here, if I ever get you here, Jimmy, I'll take you for one of the best curries you've ever had. We've got a lot of curry houses here and you know, you know, big Indian community here. Well, uh, we have it's a massive, not beef, though. <laughs> yeah. We have a big Eastern European community, a lot of Polish people here. It's a, it's a really multicultural town and actually, and one that gels quite well. You don't really have a lot of, you don't have a, a lot of division in the town through the different cultures and communities that have it. It's one of the things I love about the town most is that, you know, we all kind of get on well. Okay. Well, so let's talk about the Bitcoin aspect of this. Are, are you paying your suppliers with Bitcoin? Are you paying your players with Bitcoin manager? You know, all these people. Is Bitcoin a big part of your club? And are you like sort of trying to make it a part of this town? What's going on with respect to Bitcoin in your club? Yeah, so I'm, this is something I've been trying to be super careful about, Jimmy, because what I don't want to do is stuff Bitcoin down people's throats or make people think that for this to work, Bitcoin has to work. In that, you know, that we have to, a bit like these shitcoiners who are buying sports clubs who are then, you know, we're going to have a huge revenue model because we're going to sell NFTs and we're going to run this on a DAO and we're going to do fan tokens. Fan tokens are the shittiest of shit coins. They are just absolutely <laughs> worthless junk, which they convince people to buy that have no market value, right? Mm. I hate fan tokens. We're not going to do those. We're not going to do a DAO because it doesn't make any sense. I actually think the running of a football club needs to be fairly authoritarian. It needs to be mm-hmm. somebody like the head of the family at the top making the decisions and driving a vision that has a board underneath it. So we're not going to do a DAO. We're not going to do NFTs. I'm not like 100% against NFTs. I'm just not like a huge, I've just not bought into them, spent the time in them. I think I don't hate NFTs to the point of thinking they're a complete and utter scam. I've heard of this idea of using NFTs as you know, like a, a, as maybe a ticket. So you issue the ticket as an NFT and you can scan it to get in. I'm going to hold my judgment on them for the moment. But again, we're not selling those. There is no need for anyone who supports this club to do anything with Bitcoin. The Bitcoin for me, Jimmy, is three things. Firstly, it is the leverage we have as a club within the Bitcoin community to give them something to get behind, which is super important. That's the first thing. Secondly, it is the standard by which we operate. It's the financial model which we operate the club, that low time preference, long-term thinking, long-term trajectory. When Michael Saylor talks about building a 100-year company, I'm talking about building a 100-year football team. You know, mm. this needs to carry on way after me. I, of course, I would love to get them in the Football League and ultimate goal of the Premier League. If we get this right, who knows where we can go? Will we get in the Premier League in 10 years? <laughs> it's very hard (laughs) can you do in 20 years still very hard in 100 years if we write about bitcoin absolutely this will become a premier league club because we will be the first one and we will be the ones who own it as a as a bitcoin club so 
I want to build the hundred year football club. You know, clubs around now they've got these histories. Clubs that established hundred twenty five years ago. I would hope in a hundred years time when I'm dead and and if you're right, I'm up there in heaven with you looking down and I want to be looking down and saying, listen, we built a long-term successful football club in this town by putting them on a Bitcoin standard now, taking those painful first few years where the price is volatile and our treasuries all over the place to get us to the point where in four years, we're in a much better position. And then four years after that, an even better position that we get to accelerate our growth every four years based on the way Bitcoin works. Now that's for me, that is the financial model, but the financial model doesn't require people to come to the club and buy bitcoin i'm not going to force people to pay in bitcoin i'm not going to force the players to be paid in bitcoin now jimmy if one of the players comes to me and says yeah pete can i get paid in bitcoin i was like yeah of course you know we hold bitcoin i can pay you in it that's totally up to you and if somebody comes into the club and they want to buy a cup of coffee and they want to pay on lightning yes i'm going to accept their money but i'm not making it i'm not mandating it it's not like well if you come to the club you have to pay in bitcoin and if you play for the club you have to be paid I think one that will annoy people and it, and it pushes, forces it down your throat. It's going to be a much mm. more passive approach to just saying, this is just how we run the finances of the club now. Mm. But the third part of this is I do want to teach people about Bitcoin, Jimmy. And it's hard because people think, you know, where we think shitcoiners are scammers, people external to football who don't understand Bitcoin think I'm a scammer. They think I've got some, mm. they think I'm running some scam here with a football club <laughs> to try and milk it out of people. I, obviously, you know I'm not. You understand uh-huh. it. So I've got a big job to educate people on Bitcoin. I got approached by Connor Ocus, who's an ex-footballer who works for Spiral for Jack Dorsey. Yeah, he wants to play for the club because he's you know ex-player, but he also he's going to run the education program. So mm. this is another cool thing about our club in that most football clubs. You ask them, what do you stand for? And it'll be winning, excellence. Yeah, They didn't really stand for anything. We actually got something we stand for. We stand for financial literacy. So when you go on a football club's website and they've got a shop and they've got tickets, they've got fixtures, results, we'll have all of that. But we're also going to have this one section that's learn Bitcoin. And you can go into there and you can find Dean's book and you can find VJ's book and... Maybe at some point, if people want to learn to code, they'll find your book there, Jimmy. Or you can listen to Stefan Levera's yeah, I have other non-coding books, uh, just saying, you know. Well, we'll get them up there, mate. But if you <laughs> want to listen to a podcast, you've got Marty Benz on there. You've got Stefan Levera's. You know, you've got John Vallis. We'll eventually put all those resources up there so people can learn about Bitcoin. Also, we're going to do Bitcoin meetups at the club. So not now, but maybe next season. You know, every week, the, the fixtures at 3 o'clock, at 1 o'clock, we'll run a Bitcoin meetup. Anyone who wants to come down to the ground, learn about Bitcoin, we'll provide the education program to do it. So I do want to teach people about Bitcoin. I just don't want to force it down their throat and I don't want to mandate it on people. I don't want people to be put off Bitcoin. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, you said you want this to be sort of like the club for Bitcoiners, in which case I expect some people to like come out to watch a game like as sort of like a pilgrimage or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you you got to have services for that, right? No, of course. And like I say, we'll have it in place, and maybe not uh-huh. next week. But uh-huh. I I hope you know my dream with this, Jimmy. This would be so awesome. The way everyone has made their pilgrimage to El Salvador, the Bitcoiners are look at this and go, "I'm going to make my pilgrimage to Bedford. I'm going to go and watch one of the games." And when they turn up and they turn up to a game day, maybe they'll come and we've got a Bitcoin meetup and we're running that for an hour before the game. And then if they want to buy their cup of coffee or they want to buy their pint of lager at halftime, we will let them pay in sats. We will have every Bitcoin facility available. When we launch our merch store, 
you'll be able to spend your dirty fiat, but you will also be able to spend your Bitcoin if you want to do it. But we will have both options. Like I say, we're not forcing it down to people's throats. But yeah, no, look, I would love to do that. And I want our club to use all the different Bitcoin services. So hopefully, you know, our treasury will be managed in a multi-sig wallet. And that will be one of the Bitcoin companies that operates that. And as it is, we will, that will naturally get promoted and get promoted for them. You know, we will, if we have payroll in Bitcoin, we'll use one of the Bitcoin companies to do our payroll. Now, so I'm going to use Bitcoin companies throughout this. It is a Bitcoin club. We are the club for Bitcoiners and we use Bitcoin services, but it is not a Bitcoin maximalist club in that I'm forcing people to only do that. I don't want a player to come to me and go, well, I don't want to receive Bitcoin. You know, I'm getting paid £100 a week. I need the money and they can get paid in pounds and they can get paid in Bitcoin. It's going to be totally up to them. Okay. Have any players sort of like, you mentioned the guy from Spiral that wants to play for the club, but have any other players sort of approached because you're a Bitcoin club? Like, hey, I'm interested in playing for this club because you guys are doing something that's aligning with my beliefs or anything like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been it's not just players. I've had Oh, my email's been in meltdown for the last month, and it's people who want to come and ma- be a manager, people who want to come and play, people who want to run our youth team, people who want to, want to run our merch store, people who want to set up the youth setup, people who want to help with operations, people who just want to kind of like just saying to me, "Can I do anything? How can I help? I want to be part of this." I've had mm. so much inbound where people want to get behind this project. The big challenge, you know, with this, all this, Jimmy, is maintaining interest. Like, it's exciting now, but like three years in, will still people still be interested? That's one of the biggest challenges I face because if the interest wanes and, and I can't keep people interested, then the commercial model itself will start to struggle. I've got to make this, like I say, build a 100-year club. I've got to be able to build a club that has a, a local and an international fan base that is built for the long term. Mm. Well, one other question that I was thinking about, like as you were saying all of this, is it possible? Well, I don't know what the rules are financially, but can fans like directly tip players or something like that? Like, say they had a particularly good performance. I think you call it man of the match in England over there. But say, you know, like they vote by, you know, giving sats and then like whatever sats get are included at the end it goes to the manner of the match or something like that is is that an allowed thing or is that like completely off base or something one of the things i'm learning very quickly jimmy is there is a lot of rules that come down from the fa in terms of running your club all kinds Mm. of rules to do with everything from your ground grading for the division you're in what you can do with your shirts so i don't want to say what we can and can't do But absolutely, next season, what I would like to do is have the player profiles on the website. And if you want to sponsor a player, you want to tip a player, absolutely, I'd like to provide that facility and show the players, here you go, you've received some tips, you can convert that back to Fiat if you want or hold it in Bitcoin. I don't know what the rules are or something like that. I've got to find out. I'm learning so so many things recently. So for example, I wanted to provide free tickets. I wanted to say, listen, Mm. for the rest of the season, be free to come. I found out you can't do that. You can only give a certain amount of tickets away for free. So I would love to do that, Jimmy. I've just got to find Mm. out if that's possible. And if the rules allow it, then absolutely. The squad will be on the website. Every player will have a QR code. Everyone can tip them. And you know what? If we have a man of the match, and when that's announced, you want to tip the man of the match, that would be great. I've already set up on the website a donations uh, thing. So if people want to donate, they can donate either on the base chain or with Lightning. 
And the reason I'm going to do that is at the end of the season, everything I've got, everything that's tipped and donated to the club is going to be uh, given to the local community to invest in grassroots football. And I've already, you know, I've already had some people, Jimmy, send some uh, saps through. I'll just tell you where we're at now. I've had, yeah, here we go. Holy crap. I've had quite a bit come through. That's amazing. How much? How many sats? Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, I'd have to do the calculation, but like $20, oh, there was a $1,200, but that one was me because I kicked it off. $300, $13, $32, $12, $4, $7, $4, $13. Like I've had a bunch of people already d- donating and that's just on the base chain. I haven't even checked the lightning address to see what's going on on that. But but whatever that number is, hopefully that will be maybe five, ten thousand by the end of the season. All that money that's going to be collected up, that's going to be converted back to pounds, and that's going to be invested in local grassroots football. Hmm. Well, I mean, it would be really interesting if you could have sort of like a performance model for a lot of these guys. Like every man of the match you win, you get an extra hundred pounds, right? Like, uh, and you know that's based on how you perform, and it'll be voted on by the fans, something like that. Like, yeah, that, that stuff's it, tricky. It would, yeah. That stuff's tricky, but uh, you know, so like for example, I've put in place a bonus structure for the players. If every game they win, they get thirty pound. And originally, it was like it was suggested to me it'd be twenty pound a player. If you're a substitute, it'd be ten pound. And if you if you're a substitute that doesn't play, you don't get anything. And I didn't like that because I didn't like the idea of like other people getting bonuses and didn't. So the, what I've put in is mm-hmm. a flat rate thirty pound a player. If you're in the squad, whether you come off the bench or not, whether you play the whole game or half a game, if the team wins. Everyone wins and everyone gets that bonus. I think a bonus for a man of the match and voting on it, I think that gets a little bit tricky. It could become a popularity contest. I'm very conscious of not doing things that are going to create some kind of rivalry in the team. I I want unity in this team. This is another thing I've learned about. There's a lot of back-channel conversations that happen in football, which are really annoying. (laughs) It really annoys me. And I've said to everyone at the club, it's like, you can say anything to me and you can say Mm. anything to the managers. Let's not have back-channels and little side conversations. Let's be a team. Like, let's build unity. Let's work on this together. And so, yeah, I'm I'm very careful not to do things like that. And and others just, like other people said, you can let people buy shares in the club and they can vote on the team. It's like, no, we're never going to do that. It's a terrible idea. The team is pitched by the manager. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. The team is run by me picked by the manager you can be a fan you can support you can invest but you don't have any say in in the running of the club Mm. okay well that's certainly going to be an interesting sort of like motivation for a lot of the players if you if you had those kind of structures or whatever but that said like you still have to like go through this process of finding players and and getting them signed and so on it's just so crazy to me that you're in this at this stage you know like just sort of buying and selling players, basically. Yeah, it's Jimmy. It's so weird. It's like I'm having to pinch myself because I'm literally. Li- I, I, honestly, I feel so blessed with this. I'm mm-hmm. I'm living my dream. Like I always set out as a goal to do this to buy a club, and I never knew if I could or. But now I'm doing it, and I honestly I feel so thankful to everyone in Bitcoin who's helped me on my journey. Like whether it's you coming on my show, or whether it's a sponsor sponsoring and allows me to travel and do the interviews, the people who listen, like every single person who's helped me build the podcast has put me in this position where I can do this. And now everyone who's getting behind the club is helping me. And this is look, this is a super personal project. There is a lot of personal goals and ego wrapped up into this, and people are helping me like live my dream and it's it's incredible i feel honestly i feel so blessed 
Mm. And you're in the 10th division, you're going for the 9th division, I guess, and then like continue and so on. But you do get to play in the FA Cup. Is that right? Yeah, we get to play in the FA Cup. And, you know, over the next couple of years, I'm hoping we could have one of those like really exciting FA Cup runs, get in the third round draw, hopefully pick out a big team. And, you know, we'll have maybe one day we'll have like a Premier League club come in the FA Cup and come and play away at, at Bedford. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's also a draw, right? Like who gets to be home and who gets to be away or whatever. Yeah, that's come out of the draw. Now, what tends to happen sometimes, Jimmy, is that there's a big payday for these clubs who have a good cup run and, and get a big team because they get, if it goes on the TV, they get the share of the TV money and they get a share of the gate receipts. Even if they're drawn as the home team, sometimes they give up and they say, no, we'll. So if you're Bedford and you were to draw Manchester United in the FA Cup at home, you have to make a choice like, do we want Manchester United to come to our ground, which will be a hell of an experience, or do we want to turn around and say, you know what, we'll let you be the home team, we'll come to you, give these players a chance to do something they'll never get to do again in their life, which is play at Old Trafford, and we'll oh. also get, but you'll also make more money because they have to give you a share of the gate receipts, whereas we may have a capacity of 3,000, they've got a capacity of 65,000, you know, you get a share, and that money... And for that, some of those clubs, that money, it's money that lasts them for you know, multiple seasons, allows them to invest and, and grow. Now, listen, what I hope is that we don't need that money as much. So if we ever get a draw, one of those big teams, we're going to make them come to Bedford. Okay, so explain how the FA Cup works. When you say the third round, that uh, presumably that means that you have to win two games in order to get to the third round so you can get in the draw. Is that right? You've got to win a number of games. I don't actually know how many pr preliminary rounds there are. Mm. but there's a lot of games you've got to win to try and get in that third round and as you've got the divisions at less like as you go at the divisions you get into you uh, start uh, out later, higher later, yeah start out later round mm. okay and so if you did want to get into the third round from your current one you're probably going to have to play how many games like five six something like that and I, win them I all i don't even know it could be even like t like 10 11 games of pr prelim games to get in that third round i really I, you know i just don't know that number and this is going to be one of the things i'm going to learn as i get more and more into this hmm. and are there other cup competitions that you get to participate in i know you know england has at least like two other ones besides the fa cup although that's like the big one so there's multiple so there's the league so you've got the fa cup you've got the league cup mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. all the teams in the first four divisions but then you have other cups like you've got like the fa vars which is a cup for lower league teams but the great thing about that is if you get into the final of that you get to play a game at wembley you might not sell mm -hmm. it out but you get to go to wembley stadium and play and there's a massive incentive to have a good run in a cup like that so you can do that so your players can get to go to wembley mm. okay so there's some financial benefit to any of these things and well, I mean, that sounds like a lot of games. You have 38 league games, you have the FA Cup, you have this, uh, you know, you have several other cup competitions that you get to play in. Like, you know, and this is like the eternal complaint of English footballers. It's, you know, fixture congestion. Oh, like, how do you manage that when these people are getting paid, you know, a pittance and, you know, they have to go work another job? Like, I imagine half of these are like midweek and stuff, right? yeah i mean look you, you've just got to manage it like sometimes you you can't pick the exact team you want because you know sometimes a player will turn around and say i can't play this saturday i've got to work and you know mm. they need that money and that that is a challenge you know that is one of the challenges you face is that when you've got amateur players giving up their spare time that you, you know they've got to go and work but 
you know, what can you do? You just have to support them as best as you can. You just have to say, okay, we understand, but can we do anything to help you? Is there anything we can do so you can play? Can you change your shift and, or can we compensate you for missing that shift? These are the kind of things that I'm going to figure out as we go. But yeah, Jimmy, it's a real challenge. Well, yeah, to figure out like the fixture congestion and stuff like that. All right. So you told me you have like a hundred year plan for this club. What are you hoping that this club does for Bitcoiners? Because Obviously, your Bitcoin's doing fantastic things for the club already. You you got tons of sponsorships. You have a budget. You have a plan. All this other stuff. What's this club going to do for the Bitcoiners that are listening to this podcast? How is it going to affect them? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a really really important question because I've talked a lot about like this being a personal project, personal ambition, and I'm leaning on Bitcoin and leaning on Bitcoiners to help me do this. But it, it is a there is a benefit to everyone, which is the good thing about this. So another way to put it, Jimmy, you you, you operate on a Bitcoin standard now, you personally, right? And that's probably been mm-hmm. one of the best decisions you've ever made. And I live now on a Bitcoin standard. My podcast finances operate on a Bitcoin standard. And that's fundamentally changed my life because I've been able to get through a, a full cycle and you know level up. That's been excellent for me. I think this is where I talk about El Salvador and I talk about MicroStrategy. You know, let's go back to February, March of last year. I'd never heard of MicroStrategy and I'd never heard of Michael Saylor and most people hadn't. You know, but mm. now every single CEO of an S&P 500 company knows who Michael Saylor is. Probably every every CEO worth their salt in America or around the world knows who Michael Saylor is. He had, what, maybe 200,000 followers on Twitter at the time he announced his Bitcoin purchase. He's got a couple of million now. Every single other company has been looking at going, huh, what's he done? That's a company with what? I don't know what their operating profit is, 80-odd million a year, something like that. And they're now sat on a multi-billion dollar Bitcoin treasury, which is incredible. You know, absolutely incredible for MicroStrategy, incredible for Michael Saylor, but an incredible education lesson for other businesses. And uh, we've seen that Tesla got involved. We've seen that other CEOs have got involved. Now let's flip over to El Salvador. Again, a year ago, I doubt many people could even point to it on a map. They might have got the region right. They certainly wouldn't have heard of Bukele. Now everyone's heard of Bukele. Everyone knows who El Salvador is. And what's going to happen is in we go in five years' time, people are going to go, Michael Saylor made the best decision of any CEO in the world when he went on a Bitcoin standard and he went deep. Yeah, and he absolutely crushed it. And him, his company, and his shareholders have been rewarded for that. Again, five years' time, all these other smaller countries are going to look at El Salvador and go, holy crap, they made the best decision possible there. They've absolutely 10x their country. They've moved them forward. They've driven economic opportunity. They've, they've driven tourism. They've raised up the standards of living in their country. My goal is exactly the same for this. There are numerous professional sports clubs all around the world. And Mm. a lot of these sports clubs, they operate on very tight margins. Most of them are in debt or struggling. My hope is in five years' time, people look at them and go, ha, look at that team. They've got no debt. They've got capital. They've got great facilities. They can invest in their team. They can invest in the local community. They did that on a Bitcoin standard. Maybe we should do that. So whereas countries may consider doing what El Salvador has done and companies might consider what Michael Saylor's done, hopefully fans of football or owners of football clubs will also go, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should go onto a Bitcoin standard. So really, I think there's like this symbiotic relationship where this can benefit Bedford and this can benefit Bitcoin. Both get to win if this is right. Bedford gets to win because it gets a professional team and it has economic opportunity and you know something for the town to be proud of behind. And Bitcoin has benefit because other sports teams look at this and they start going on a Bitcoin standard. 
It's a chance to educate Bitcoin and teach Bitcoin to millions and tens of millions of people around the world who like football. Because, Jimmy, if we get this right, if this is right and I'm right, this will end up being the biggest story in sports. You know, not the next year, not in two years, but in like six, seven years, if I've delivered on this. Because no one thinks I could do this in football, Jimmy. I am getting, <laughs> I'm getting laughed at. People think I'm an idiot. They're like, you can't do this. You don't understand football. It's not this way. But if I'm right, if through the power of Bitcoiners, I get this right. If through the power of a Bitcoin treasury, if I get this right, I'm going to be the one going, I told you so. And not not to laugh and be smug, just to say, I told you a Bitcoin standard would work. And then hopefully they'll be like, I should be on a Bitcoin standard personally, and my sports team should be on a Bitcoin standard. And we continue on that mission of teaching people about Bitcoin around the world. Hmm. So I think what you're saying is that you're going to show the sports world another way to operate and not based on a lot of debt, which is essentially a fiat standard, but on a Bitcoin standard where savings is a big part of it and where you're able to build up slowly, but in a sustainable way and sort of show a lot of these football clubs, hey, you know, there's another way to do this. And if you do it this way, you're going to have a lot more resources available to you in the long term rather than just sort of like thinking only about relegation or promotion in the current season, something like that. Yeah, and it comes from the bottom. Look, this is this is going to be hot. A team like Manchester United are going to go, this is nonsense. This doesn't make sense. We don't need to do that. We've got airline sponsoring us, and we've got you know this company sponsoring us, and this insurance company. We don't need this. We're Manchester United. We're a billion-dollar football business. We don't need this. It's a bit like the U.S., the U.S. isn't going to put Bitcoin on its treasury just yet. It's El Salvador. We are the El Salvador of football. We are the ones who can do it. And then other smaller clubs might look at us and go, huh. Like I always think of, have you ever, you must have seen Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Like one of my favorite films ever, Jimmy. Like it really inspired me. After that, watching that film a few times, I ended up like, I don't know if you remember, but he writes that memo, the, the things we think and do not say, and he delivers to everyone. When I used to work in advertising, I did a similar thing. I wrote um, an article called Online Advertising Does Not Work, and I put it up on my website, and I wanted to tell all our uh, clients about what is wrong with the industry and how we should do it different. And just like Jeremy McGuire, it fell flat on its face. Nobody cared, and I ended up quitting the industry. You know, was, but I always think of that film, and I think of that final kind of one of those final scenes where, you know, where at the end, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. gets his, uh, you know, he has his injury on the pitch, gets up, he's fine. And, you know, they go to the, the outside, the press are all taking photos and he just goes straight up to Tom Cruise and they have this big hug. And the uh, there's the other guy there who's got a different agent. And he said, why is our relationship not like that? And it was just like, mm. he was proven right. He did things in the right way. And all I hope for this is at some point, like we're right. And rather than be smug and saying, ah, I told you so, it's like, I want other people to look and go, why aren't we like that? Why haven't we done that? Why did we ignore him? We as Bitcoiners, and you know longer than me, you've been in this longer than I have, Jimmy. You've, you know, I got to ride it for the last five years and, you know, Bitcoin is relatively, you know, a bit more mainstream now, but people have been laughed at for years about this and I'm going to be laughed at about this. But if I'm right, which I believe I am, I think people are going to turn around and go, okay, yeah, Pete got this right. Maybe we should be doing the same. And this is all we ever try and do, isn't it, Jimmy? We just try and educate people about the benefits of Bitcoin. Then hopefully they go off and and they employ some form of Bitcoin standard for themselves. They start stacking. They start you know changing the future for, for themselves. So fingers crossed, man. I think we've got the right plan here. Hmm. 
Well, I, I certainly wish you success. So final question. I know you're a big Liverpool supporter. Say four or five years from now, you've promoted a few divisions. You managed to get into the third round of the FA Cup. Liverpool draws Bedford FC. What do you do? It's, it's no question. It's easy. I mean, it's, it's Bedford all the way. <laughs> Let me tell you something funny, Jimmy. I'll tell you something really funny. <laughs> This is so, so interesting. Something that's happened since I took over the club is the gap between games is so painful. All I can think about now, next game, you know, next game, we're playing stop fold in, in eight days. I just want that game day to come around. And the last game we had against Amptil, I was sat there watching the game and I could not take my eyes off the pitch. And I was so into it, more than any Liverpool game I've ever been into. And bear in mind, I've watched Liverpool in the Champions League final. I've watched them in FA Cups. I've seen them like fighting and winning the league. But no moment in my entire Liverpool history of supporting them did I ever have the feeling I had when I was watching Bedford play Amptill because it's like it, it means so much more. When Liverpool win, it means my team win, okay? When Bedford win, it means my town wins. And my town is so important to me. I'm like, I'm always going on about Bedford. I always talk about Bedford. Like, it means so much to me, Jimmy. And that's what made me realize, like, whilst I'm still a Liverpool fan and I love Liverpool, that's now my number two team. My, my team is Bedford. That's who I support. That's the most important team for me right now. Every single week is about Bedford winning. My dream is that this is, this is what carries on now till, till the end of my days, that, that, I am always involved in this club and helping drive Bedford forward. But yeah, Bedford, Bedford played Liverpool. It's, it's a no-brainer. It's Bedford the whole way. There's not even All I will have is a nostalgia of thinking, wow, Bedford's playing Liverpool. I never thought this would happen. It's happening. I will have that mm. kind of like nostalgic feeling. But no, I'm, I am Bedford through and through. This is my town. I love it. I love the people. And I really want something good to happen for them. Yeah, Bedford all the way, man. Yeah, I did read a story a while back about, I think there was a club after the Glazers bought the Manchester United that started as a result of that. And it was called like the Football Club of Manchester or something. And they managed to promote themselves up a few divisions. And then they got to the FA Cup third round and they tried so hard. They were wishing for Manchester United to actually be drawn against them. I don't think that happened, though. So. <laughs> Yeah, it, that was it, like, um, you know, fairy tales like this do happen. So I really hope that something like that happens for you. Well, that was that was FC United. Uh-huh. And, and it's, it's not the only time it's happened when um, there's a famous club called Wimbledon, a very cold mm. English football club. They were always a small team. They never I think they shared a ground. I can't remember who they shared a ground with, but they famously won the FA Cup when I was a kid. I think it was 1989. They beat Liverpool. I'm pretty sure Peter Beardsley missed the penalty, but mm. they won. And they had some famous players in it. Vinnie Jones, who ended up becoming an actor in Lockstock, and Dennis Wise and John Fashion, who all played for this club. And everybody loved them. They were called the Crazy Gang. And then what happened was they could, they always struggled to get a ground, and they ended up moving almost like a U.S. franchise, which is not a thing uh-huh. in the U.K. People hate it. They moved to Milton Keynes, a big town, essentially a city that didn't have a big club. And they moved and everybody hated them. Everyone hated it, hated the story. They ended up, all the fans ended up building a new team and they went up through the divisions and they had some success. They've done it. Salford did it. FC United did it to a certain extent. The problem is with all these clubs, they hit a commercial limit because they still Mm. have this issue where they've got the catchment area of where their club is and what revenue they can get in. I am in a better position because my catchment area is the world. My supporter base is Bitcoiners, and there are a lot of us. And, you know, when we go after something, Jimmy, we really go after it. 
<laughs> well, where can people like get tickets or watch a game or something like that? And do you have packages available for Bitcoiners to like go and watch a game, be hosted in Bedford for a day and like, yeah, I don't know, hang out with yeah. the players or something? <laughs> Figuring that all out right now, it's just get, getting the club running, getting the team in place, the management in place. Look, if people want to follow it, go to railbedford.com, R-E-A-L bedford.com. Follow us on twitter.com forward slash railbedford at railbedford. Same on Instagram. Everything's railbedford. The team we fought is Bedford FC. It will change name at the end of the season. No packages yet. We will get there, Jimmy. But like, I have to get people to be prepared. This is a very small team, low standard of football that will get better and over and over the years. But absolutely, right now I'm working on packages so people can stream games. And then ultimately I'll do packages where I want people to come to Bedford. I want them to make their pilgrimage. I want them to come here and see them play. There's a lot to do though, Jimmy, man. There's (laughs) only so many hours in the day, but I am getting there. And everything you want to happen, I will eventually make happen. Well, I'm very excited for you. Hopefully other, you know, Bitcoiners maybe get into this game, maybe not in your particular division, but in other divisions. And I mean, there's like, you know, like multiple divisions in pretty much every European country. I know that for a fact. So it'll be interesting to watch and, you know, see where you get with this. I mean, let's let's hit back in like five years and see where you are on this journey, because I think it'll be really fun to watch. Well, th- Jimmy, listen, I really appreciate you uh, having me on your podcast. You know, I've appreciated getting to know you over the years and you coming on my show. And uh, you've been a big part of my journey in Bitcoin. I've learned a lot from you and you've you've helped me with it. So I, look, thanks so much for doing this and allowing me to tell the story. And I will definitely get you to buy a shirt. Actually, <laughs> I, I need you to buy it. I, I can probably sell you about eight shirts. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting for my entire family. Uh, but But thanks. All right, man. Take care, dude. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin-native financial services partner, learn more at unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Peter McCormick can be found at at Peter McCormick on Twitter and whatbitcoindid.com. Until next time, fiat delanda est.